Let us pray. Father God, as we come before your presence, we thank you again for another opportunity for us to hear your word. Father, what a privilege this and the busyness of our time, we can pause to once a day consider what you have to say. Father, these are holy moments that you have so assigned into our days and our years that we can hear the voice of the living God speaking to us. Because, Father, without your voice speaking deep and loud in our hearts, we will be easily swayed by the winds of this world. And the voices of this world, in terms of its sinful discouragements, will cause us to falter. So, Father, we need your word to make us strong, that we will be strong and and, uh, and find our foundation in Jesus Christ, our rock, so that we will not fall when the winds of trouble, when the winds of discouragement blow our way. So, Father, as we come to build our lives again on your word, speak to us as we look into your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I love traveling. Even though we can't travel today in today's um, the climate, but we can still travel in our imagination. Today I want to visit with you a very uh, interesting city in northwestern part of Iran known as Hamadan. The city of Hamadan is one of the oldest cities in the uh, country of Iran. It is mentioned once and only once in the Bible. In biblical times, uh, it is called the Ekbatana city, which is mentioned here in Ezra chapter 5. But what is so special about this city of Hamadan? Every year around the time of Purim, thousands of Jews would flock to this city of Hamadan and they would visit the tomb of Esther and Mordecai. It was believed that Esther was buried in, uh, was buried in the city of Hamadan. And if you go to Hamadan, you can even trace at least 50 families in the city itself that traces their ancestry back to Queen Esther. Isn't that amazing? The spirit of Esther is, supposed to, is said to have protected the city. Over the years, the Arabs, the Muslim Arabs, have tried to take over the city. They wanted to turn the tomb of Esther, the mausoleum of Esther and Mordecai, into a mosque. But time and time again, when the Arabs tried to take over the city, it was been said that God had been protecting the city. And just as Esther once took care of God's people by standing up for them, now God stands up for the city, for Esther, uh, during these numerous occasions. The tomb of Esther and Mordecai was once buried in an, uh, a back alley somewhere. But in the year 1971, to celebrate the 2,500 anniversary since the issue of the Edict of Cyrus, the Jewish community bought the houses nearby the mausoleum, tore them out, tore them down, so that now there is a bridge that they built that connects it to the main road. So now you can see the mausoleum from the main road. Every Purim, Jewish people would take pilgrimage to visit this uh, tomb. Women, especially with uh, birthing issues, would go and they would bring colorful blankets to pray at this uh, mausoleum. Women with uh, struggling with uh, problems at home would usually take this opportunity 
to visit the tomb to pray. Besides the mausoleum is a synagogue. What's most interesting about this synagogue is that half of it is above the ground and half of it is underneath the ground. What's the significance? The synagogue reminds us of Esther. Though Esther was a Jew, she was half hidden amongst the Persian. Though God was half God was half hidden in the book, such that his name doesn't even appear in the book, he also plays a very important role in the book itself. God was working behind the scenes. The, the, the synagogue there at Hamadan was there to remind us that though we don't often see God at work, where like God is almost like he's only half present, he's actually fully at work within our lives and our society. And I guess that's the message that our passage for this morning is trying to address in Ezra chapter 6 verses 1 to 12. If there is one message that this text is trying to address is that God is at work, even though we don't see it, even though we feel that other people are controlling our lives and God is not in control, God is still at work. Let's situate Ezra chapter 6 verses 1 to 12 in its context. In chapter 5 of Ezra, some of the neighbors of the Jewish community were not too happy that the Jews were building or rebuilding the temple of God. The Jews were building huge, using huge stones that the Bible called as rolling stones. It was so huge that they could not be lifted up. They have to be rolled around. They were built by rolling stones and they were using cedar as panels around the temple. So it looked like a very expensive endeavor. So the neighbors started to get really nervous when they see the Jews rebuilding the temple of God. Furthermore, the Aramaic word for temple is the same as palace. So many of the neighbors were trying, thinking amongst themselves, are the Jews making a rebellion? Are they building a palace so that they can establish for themselves their own nation and trying to overthrow the Persians? So many of the neighbors started to get nervous and they started to write to the king to investigate. So the, the Jewish, the, the, the nosy leaders around the Jews started asking them, who authorized you to build this temple? And the Jews insisted that many, many years ago, there was a king called Cyrus, a king of Persia, who issued an edict, an edict uh, that they could build the temple. So the officials started to write a letter to the king to search for this edict in Babylon. The king, by the name of King Darius, had been searching for this edict but couldn't find it in Babylon. And finally, in God's providence, they found the edict in the city of Ekbatana, which is our modern day, which is uh, in modern day we call it Habadan, um, and where Esther's tomb is now located. So finally, the edict. Has been found. So let's pick up the story here in Ezra chapter 6. If you have Bibles, turn on to Ezra chapter 6. And I'm reading from verses 1 to 2. King Darius then issued an order, and a search in the archives stored in the treasury at Babylon. A scroll was found in the citadel of the city of Agbatana in the province of Media, and this was written on it. During the time of Ezra, the city of Agbatana. Uh, 
is uh, is part of the is the capital city of the Medians or the Medes. But King Cyrus, the king of Persia, managed to overtake the city, bring it to himself. So it became a city very important to the Persians. Herodotus tells us that in this city that's being built on a hill, there are seven layers of walls around the city because that's where the kings of Persia would build their summer palaces there and they sometimes would spend time in the city itself. And it's also where they saw the archives and the documents of the Persian Empire. Uh, so maybe that's where they found the Edict of, uh, of uh, Cyrus. So this is during a time whereby the Jews had absolutely no control over the situation. Everything that they did was questioned. People were questioning left, right and center. As soon as they started building the temple, people started questioning them and started writing letters behind their backs, starting to uh, write letters to contradict them, to counteract them. So it was during a time whereby the Jews have no control. Everything was in the hands of the Persians. The Persian king was the one that had the, had the green light or the red light as far as the temple building was going. Unless he finds the edict, he will not let the temple be rebuilt. It was all in the hands of foreign kings and foreign officials. Maybe you have been like the Jews, living in a time whereby you feel that you have absolutely no control over your future. The COVID-19 pandemic have left you helpless to face the future. The loss of your job has caused you to face the future as if the future, you have no more control over it. If, or you may be struggling in a situation whereby you are under the mercy of others and others are making decisions on your behalf and you hate it. What do you do during these times? Because the Jews have been in a similar situation here in the book of Ezra. They were under the mercy of these foreign people who were writing letters on their behalf, who were trying to question everything that they were doing. And everything hangs upon the edicts and letters and the decrees from foreign kings who had no regard for them, who could care less about the Jews, who had more important agendas on their plate. What do you do during this time? These times are especially difficult for control freaks who want to control what happens in our lives. What do we need to do during this time? And my answer is, we need to hear the gospel again. How do we hear the gospel again? Let's look at this passage to see what God has to say to us, especially when we feel that we have no control over our future. Two things God's saying to us. Number one, when we are in a time where we feel that we have no control over our future, continue to seek God and throw yourself in worship. Continue to seek and throw yourself in worship. When the issue of Cyrus was found, King Darius wrote a letter to the Jews and their neighbours. And what is God saying through this letter? The first thing that God is saying through this letter is continue to build the temple. And this is what King Darius says, continue to worship your God. Verse 3, in the first year 
of King Cyrus, the king issued a decree concerning the temple of God in Jerusalem. Let the temple be rebuilt as a place to present sacrifice. Let its foundation be laid. It is to be 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide. Even in time where the Jews have been losing control and have lost control over their future, God says to them, don't despair. Use this time that you have to continue to build the temple, continue to seek me, to continue to offer the sacrifices to me. And God specifically through this edict says that the temple needs to be 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide. Why does God give us this dimension here in the midst of this letter? It is to help us to compare with Solomon's temple. In fact, the second temple is going to be bigger than Solomon's temple itself. Solomon's temple, if you remember in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 2, has this dimension. It's 60 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. But here God wants his temple to be much bigger. Instead of just 20 cubits wide, it's supposed to be 60 cubits wide and 60 cubits long. To our minds, our modern minds, we say, so what? <laughs> Why is it that God wants them to build a bigger temple? What is God saying here? God is saying to the Jews, don't despair. Even though you may not have control over your future, I'm still there. The temple represents the means in which you can still come to me for help. The temple is where I meet you face to face. The temple is where by your prayers are being heard. The temple is where you can still sacrifice and communicate to me. And the way you do that through this temple is by no means inferior to the temple in Solomon's time. Just as when I heard the prayers of Solomon uh, in, in Solomon's time, just like when it was glorious, when when this Israel was at its glorious peak. You are still there. The same God behind that glorious peak is still the same God with you today. And even more, because this temple is going to be even much more glorious, bigger than Solomon's temple. Don't be afraid. I am still there. You can still communicate with me. So what is God saying to us? When you feel that you do not have any control over your future, don't worry. God has. God has not lost the plot. He still is there that you can bow your head to, that you can still utter your prayers to, that you can still seek Him for help, that you can still sacrifice your heart and your worship to Him. Worship God. Our place of helplessness is not a place of despair, but they are placed in our lives so that we can see that our true help doesn't come from our circumstances. Our true help doesn't come from our control, but our true help comes from the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It comes from the sacrifice of God. It comes from Jesus Christ, our ultimate temple. There once was a story about a boy who visited the British National Gallery in London with his father. And they were looking at this gallery and they saw a painting by uh, Hormann Hunt. Hormann Hunt painted this painting about Jesus standing outside a door and was knocking. But the door was remained unopened despite Jesus knocking on it. 
So the boy and the father stared at this painting for some time, trying to understand what was happening. So the boy said to the father, Daddy, why don't they open the door when Jesus is knocking? The father says, I don't know. There was a moment of pause. Then the youngster said, Maybe they're making too much noise in the room to hear him knocking. And I think that's the case sometimes with us. When we are in control of our own situation, we surround ourselves with so much noise, so much activity, so much of our agenda, so much of our plans, so much of our dreams, that we don't hear Jesus speaking and Jesus knocking. But in those moments when we lose control, that's when we come to worship God and throw ourselves again at the feet of God. And we hear Jesus knocking. Secondly, what do we do during these times of helplessness? We need to remember that God is more generous than we think He is. God is more generous than we think He is. We continue reading. Let the temple be rebuilt, verse 3. As a place to reverend sacrifices, let its foundation be laid. It is to be 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide, with three courses of large stones and one of timber. The costs are to be paid by the royal treasury. Also the gold and the silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, are to be returned to their places in the temple in Jerusalem. They are to be deposited in the house of God. God not only wants the Jews to rebuild the temple, but he's incredibly generous. He wants them to build with the, not only a bigger temple, but with the best of all materials. He wants the cost to be paid by, by the foreign king, by the Persian treasury, and all the pots and pans, the silver and gold pots and pans that King Nebuchadnezzar stole from the temple will also be returned. God is generous. He wants the best for his house. Many times we don't see the generosity of God, especially we are not getting what we want. For instance, if what you want right now the most is a job, sometimes we are so blinded by a lack of a job that we don't see the generosity that God is providing around us. We only see, oh, I don't have this job. I get turned down by this interview again. I don't know where to apply. I, why am I so bad? We only get so fixated by the one thing we want. And then we think that God is evil. God is stingy. God is a bad God because he doesn't give us the one thing that we want. But sometimes I idolatry. Our love for the one thing we want so overwhelms us, so blinds us that we forget that God is still generous. You may not have a job, but you may have a great family of support around you. You may not have a job, but God has generously given you time right now to serve Him, to worship Him. You may not have this, but God has given you the rest. And sometimes we forget God's generosity. God is generous even to the Jews. Yes, the Jews may not have the, the, the greatest one right now. And that's the freedom to be on their own and to be their own nation. But God is still generous in his provision. He's giving to the Jews all the resources that they needed to build the temple. Dennis Rainey in his book, uh, Stepping Up, 
tells of a time when he and his wife lost their granddaughter, Molly. Molly um, was only seven days old as a baby and had an aneurysm and died because of that. So after Molly died, uh, Dennis and his wife were extremely, extremely sad. And they were very angry at God at why they allowed their granddaughter to die seven days after birth. But then they decided one day to take a vacation to England. And they stumbled into a little town called St. Bayand in England. It was a very small town with just a pub and a decaying church and a graveyard. Since there was not much to see, they went to the graveyard to look at graves. They saw one of the graves there that buried a family from the 1600s. Buried underneath that grave was a mother who gave birth to a son who died 10 days late, and she died 10 days later at the age of 24. Her son died 13 months later, and the father died a few days after at age 25. But what's most interesting is that the words have been carved in this limestone gravestone that stood there at the graveyard. It was almost faded, but as, as they tried to clean up this uh, uh, gravestone, they could see the words itched there. And the word says, We cannot, Lord, thy presence see, thy purpose see. We cannot, Lord, thy purpose see, but all is well that's done by thee. Then they realized this family suffered so much tragedy. Mother died, the, the baby died, the father died, and yet they could still rejoice in the purposes of God. Yet they could say, we cannot, Lord, thy purpose see, but all is well. All is well that's done by thee. How could they still say that despite all these deaths in the family? It's because they saw the generosity of God's providence, though sometimes we don't see that. They saw the generosity of God providing, even when the world collapsed around them. God is still generous, even though He doesn't give us our greatest wants and our greatest desires. He is still generous. So what do we do when we are in a loss for control? Let me shift into some pastoral moments as a pastor speaking to you. Let me give you three gentle pastoral suggestions. Number one, surrender your need to God in worship. Surrender, be honest to God what your needs are but come to Him in worship. And that's what God wants the Jews to do. Come and build your temple. Come and offer your sacrifice. Come and worship. Number two, name your blessings. Yes, you may not, God may not have given you your greatest one, but God has also given you other things. You may not have a job, but you may have time on your hands to minister to those who are heartbroken. You may not be the richest person in the world, but you have still have resources to help others. Name your blessings and rejoice in them. And thirdly, use your resources that you have for God. 
and for his kingdom. If you are unemployed, you have the resources of, of time in your hands. Use those resources to further God's kingdom. If you do not have a family, you have time to spend with God's family. Use those resources for God's purposes. Even though Jews, the Jews may not enjoy the freedom that they want from the Persians, even though their neighbors did not cease and desist, God still blessed them. And God still wants them to use their resources to glorify Him. Look at verse 8. Moreover, I hereby decree that you are to do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of the house of God. Their expenses are to be poorly paid for by the royal treasury from the revenues of the trans-Euphrates, so that the work would not be stopped. Whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, male lambs for burnt offerings for the God of heaven, the wheat, the salt, the wine, and olive oils, as required by the priests in Jerusalem, must be given to them daily without fail, so that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to God in heaven and pray for the well-being of the king and his sons. God still wants to choose what? Not to remain idle. Not because, oh, I don't have any control over my life. I just vegetate and die. No, 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 no. God still blessed them with resources so that they can use it for the worship of God. God gave them, through the Persians, what is needed for the festive occasions. The young bulls, the rams, and the male goats. So they can use them for the festive occasions to celebrate, to worship God. But God also gives them the daily provision of wheat, of salt, of wine, of olive oil, so they can use them for daily offerings and worship of God. God still gives us resources. God still gives you talents. God may not have given you your biggest one, but God still gives you other talents. Use them to service God, to advance the kingdom of God. My own grandfather, when he was alive, was one of the most generous men on earth. Every time the church needed uh, to have a function, he was the first one to offer his help, to offer his money. He served over for 50 years of his life as a preacher, but he also had a business at his side. And he always used his money wisely, his resources, to further God's kingdom. We never knew what actually he did for God's kingdom until his death. When my grandfather died, um, the funeral was supposed to be just one evening, and that was it. But there were so many people who wanted to host the funeral service that kept, they kept calling the church our church pastor. So there was uh, princi principals and directors of Bible colleges that wanted to host a night of celebration of my grandfather's life. And there were so many people who wanted to do that, that the funeral service got extended into five consecutive nights. The five nights in a row there will be services celebrating my grandfather's life. It became amazing uh, why these people were interested. There were principals of Bible colleges taking one night each. So uh, we knew, we knew my grandfather supported Bible colleges while he was alive. But he never really attended any of the board meetings for years and years. He never really visited these Bible colleges for years and years because of ill health, because of old age. Never did that. We thought people had forgotten about him. But apparently people have not. And they still wanted to host these services. 
So the pastor of our church allowed them to do that. Our church would take the final night. The rest of the nights would be taken by missionary organizations, Bible colleges, and so forth. Over these nights, we were very surprised to see the people that flocked to the funeral services. There hundreds and hundreds of people in each of the five nights. Many of these people, we don't know them. Remember a pastor came up to speak. He was in tears when he came up to speak. And he said, you know, when I was a, a Bible college student, I was very poor. But Mr. Lim, which was my grandfather, helped me. Not only did he pay for my fees throughout all the Bible college years, but every afternoon, because the Bible college was not too far from where my grandfather worked, every afternoon he would invite me to come to have lunch at his office. And he would prepare lunch for me. And, and I would eat at Mr. Lim's place every day of my Bible colleges because I was so poor to even buy lunch. But I ate there and Mr. Lim paid for all my studies until I became a pastor. And he was literally in tears when he spoke about that. And to the horror of all of us, we did not even know this past. We did not even know about this story. But my grandfather, in his own secret ways, was helping Bible college students, Bible colleges, not only financially, but helping them establish, giving them vision, encouraging them, teaching them. And many of these things were not even told to us. And we were so surprised to learn about one story after another of people being helped by my grandfather. My grandfather did not have much. Though he had a business on the side, he had 10 children to raise up. But yet he always gave the resources to God. And God multiplied. That even though years after he was sick, was in bed and in the hospitals and couldn't even go to visit many of these churches that he supported, they still remember. Because my grandfather invested his life and his resources in the kingdom of God. God may not give you what you want right now, but he's given you resources. Invest them for the sake of of the gospel. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you. Thank you, Lord God, that you have given us resources. The very fact that we are alive, the very fact that we can breathe is a resource you have given to us. The very fact that we can listen to this podcast, that we even have the equipment to hear a podcast, to hear a sermon online, is already a resource that you have given to us. We thank you for your generosity. We worship you and lift up the name of our Lord right now. We thank you for being generous. Help us not just to look at our wants and blame you and get angry at you because we do not get what we want. You have already been generous and we glorify you. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Rescue us from taking 
of wanting control over our lives. We are not the lords of our life. Jesus is the Lord of our life. And that's the gospel. He has come to be the Lord. He's come to be our Savior. So Father, as we hear the gospel right now, let us turn away from the idols of our lives and turn to Jesus. You are the Lord of our lives. We again entrust our future and trust our roads ahead, our paths ahead, our desires ahead, our commitments ahead to you. Lord, we are committing our lives into good hands and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.